and thank you for listening to this latest episode of our Unsolved series. This month, we're taking a look at a case recently solved by detectives in the Upper Peninsula. The case of Baby Garnett is one that has haunted Mackinac County for 25 years. It was June of 1997 when the body of a baby, practically a newborn, was found in an outhouse at the Garnett Lake Campground in western Mackinac County. Detectives at the time did not have much to work with in the way of clues. As they worked, the community gave Baby Garnett a proper burial at the nearby cemetery and affectionately named her Baby Garnett. But investigators finally got a break this summer thanks to technology that's become a common tool in solving cold cases. It's known as forensic genetic genealogy and it's helped solve cases across the country. In this particular case, it helped detectives track down Baby Garnett's mother all the way in Wyoming. Nancy Kuratowski now faces an open murder charge in Mackinac County. Before we dive into the technology, let's get to know the case itself. Mackinac County Sheriff Ed Wilk first dove into the case in 2010 when he was assigned to patrol Western Mackinac County. He believed the case was solvable when he first looked at it. And more than a decade later, he was right. Take me back to when this case first started, back in June of 1997. Uh, it was June 26, 1997, and I wasn't here at the time. Um, I learned about this in uh, 2010 when I came back. <clears throat> but uh, when I came here, I actually reviewed the, the case file for this. And um, at the time, I thought this was a very solvable case as time had progressed. But uh, reading it, uh, the deputies that got the initial call um, to basically... Uh, company that was cleaning out the outhouses uh, for the for the park and the guy that was cleaning out the outhouses um, used obviously a big suction and it got clogged and once he went to undo the clog that's when he noticed that he had uh, sucked up the baby and then obviously he called 911 <coughs> and uh, we responded out there and from there the investigation started and gathering and of course in 1997 the um, technology I guess wasn't there back then like it is now um, they had the foresight to gather the information and the uh, DNA that really wasn't a thing so you really didn't even know to gather it um, but they did uh, very good at the time with what they had and that was uh, extremely important which obviously helped solve this case obviously 25 years later um, with that being said once the officers responded um, we were assisted by the state police at the time as well and uh, obviously we had to uh, clean out the rest of the outhouses and find other evidence that's in there. And uh, so they went to the lagoons and cleaned that out and gathered more evidence from there. It is not a stretch to say news of the discovery sent shockwaves through the area. This is not a daily occurrence. I mean, no, any stretch of the right, so you're going about your business and your job is to clean out outhouses and you're just trying to get your job done and you come upon something like this and it just changes everything and it affected so many people um, that weren't even directly involved with this. I mean, the, the guy that uh, was cleaning the outhouses out, that was in itself, I mean, traumatic for him. And of course, then obviously he brings that home and has to explain to the family what happened. And, and oh my God, this is just what happened, what I found. And here he's living with that for 25 years as well. It's the same thing with the, uh, the deputies and the officers that were there at the time, having to, you know, go through, you know, the, the feces and the, the contents of an outhouse. I mean, we've all been in an outhouse. We know what it's like. You know, it's not pretty. And then yet you still have to go through that to try to find evidence. And I don't think. Uh, 
people understand um, the amount that we have to do that goes into this behind the scenes. I mean, a lot of people watch, you know, the the TV shows and stuff, and the crime is solved here in you know an hour. That's just not reality, and sometimes it takes a long time. But again, I've made the comment several times that um, even though this may have been out of sight, it was never out of mind. Um, the deputy, the original deputy that responded to this and got the call, um, still has since retired um, and came back, but he, he's still bothered by that, that this is one that he couldn't solve. And like I said, it affected so many people because here you have a baby and you really don't have any other evidence and there's no family ties and you don't even know which direction to go. I mean, how long the baby was there, um, you know, where do you go? I mean, you're literally starting at ground zero. Reports from the time show an autopsy revealed baby Garnett was essentially a newborn. As detectives worked the case, the community worked to make sure the baby girl had a proper burial. To have the community come together like it did, and um, I think truly not just across the United States, but across the world in general, people are over, uh, overall, they're good people, right? And they want to do the right thing and, and help. I think that truly is... Uh, in every person. Um, some go a different route, but um, otherwise I'd be out of a job. But um, for the most part, everybody does want to help. And when you have the rural area like this, the small community, and everybody knows everybody, that is just what you do. Everybody comes together and helps. And we've had, uh, we've seen that so many different times, um, even since I've been here at the sheriff's office. Um, the people that have come together for uh, missing missing autistic child that we had last year in August. I mean, we were just inundated with support. And I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And I've had other people that uh, talked about um, other search and rescues that they've had, and they've never seen the outpouring of community support. I mean, whatever it is. So in this case where, yes, the community makes a collection and, you know, bury the child and ultimately, you know, just name baby Carnet because there was no name, no family ties of any sort. and. You know, it's a, uh, it's very, uh, you know, heartwarming to see that type of support. So you have this kind of gap in time between 1997 until late 2000s, 2010s. When did this case kind of start picking up steam again for you guys? Um, yeah, when it really started picking up steam, because when I came in 2010, um, I just reviewed the case and I just, you know, put some feelers out because uh, I was assigned to the to the west end of the county, and uh, you know, Garnet is kind of the area I patrolled as well, and just to see if I could uh, get any any traction or get any information that maybe somebody would talk and stuff, and that just all kind of fell on deaf ears. I had a few names, but at the time, the investigating the originating. Uh, Originating officer that investigated this was still here, so I'd gather some information, give it to him, and he'd either say, "Yep, we've already looked into this," or "No, well, you know, that's didn't pan out," or whatever the case. But so that just kind of fizzled out. Um, probably you know, five, six years later, uh, we had a, a new hire who was a detective downstate that actually came here and had some more experience with that, and. Uh, we're actually sitting around the office discussing this, that, of course, this is something that is very solvable. And, you know, getting him on board and then uh, with the state police detective um, here that helped, you know, investigate this, because they had information also from um, when they were initially called, their detective came to help 
the sheriff's office back in 97. It's kind of reorienting and getting all the pieces kind of back in line. Right. It's 2015, 2016, 20 years later, where do we stand? Mm -hmm. So about thing. 2017, uh, at the time, Sheriff Scott Strait, um, we got together and we all had a meeting. And we thought this is something that we can do. And we gathered all the information, took another look at it. And uh, because honestly, right, um, after a certain amount of time, you know, um, fresh pair of eyes and now with the technology that has you know just leaps and bounds from what it used to be and it keeps changing every day so I mean I'll be interested to see what it's gonna be like in 25 more years um, hopefully I'll be gone by then <laughs> but um, it's uh, I think that's what helped and initially we had uh, obviously uh, some of the evidence that we had sent to the FBI initially and that was uh, actually a bone, which is what ultimately got the DNA from the uh, baby garnet. And getting that back was a little challenge. There's red tapes when dealing with the feds, but we got it back, and uh, then we were able to start doing that. But that did take a while to get that part. And then we started going from there and, and eventually going down the genealogy path to make the family tree. Now, all that evidence so carefully collected back in 1997 would prove critical with help from the company Identifinders International. I think after the 25 years and knowing the advancements in the technology and again when um, we got together and uh, made the decision to move forward and actually uh, make an active uh, effort towards this case and trying to get it solved, um, as we were discussing this, uh, one of the investigators actually um, read an article that was from North Dakota, I believe, that were, uh, forensic genealogy was used in that case to help solve a cold case. And upon looking into that, that kind of led us down that path to do the uh, forensic genealogy. The DNA from the evidence that was initially sent back in 97 to the FBI did have DNA, but although it was so old and degraded at the time, that we started looking into this, um, we had to get um, obviously some new samples. And uh, from the help of the uh, Identifinders uh, International actually helped us um, give us a direction to go. And <clears throat> with that, so we had to, you know, get the cases and do the swabs and stuff like that um, from there. And we would go to uh, the direction that the company sent us to uh, get consent for uh, DNA and the investigators would explain we're you know working on a cold case and <clears throat> this may help actually you know narrow narrow down the the playing field and uh, obviously we'd uh, go to different people that uh, were suggested to us and uh, basically it's just another lead and yeah. that's uh, no different than anybody else giving us a tip and uh, we actually would go there ask them for the consent and uh, if they consented and, and people, again, I think they're really good and they want to help. They want to help solve this case, and especially when it pulls on the heartstrings of a child, a newborn child. Um, that's, a, that's a hard one to swallow, that how anybody can do that. Um, and actually, I mean, we got the consent. We'd send those into the lab and the, um, they would say, yep, this is not a match. It doesn't match this tree. Uh, it doesn't go here. Or, yep, this one does. Now we're narrowing the playing field down even more, and we're able to, um, you know, find another, um, maybe another a link, I guess, in this, you know, family tree. And, you know, ultimately, which led us to the mother. I was going to say, this family tree that 
is being built through these different samples eventually leads you to Wyoming of Correct. all places. Correct. Which there's still the, you know, the uh, the legwork that we still have to do as investigators, right? So it was not all done by, you know, just the DNA. It just gave us a path to go to. And of course, you still have to find the back history. You know, who was this person? Were they here in the, the area at the time? And I mean, 25 years ago, I mean, I suppose if I thought about it, I could tell you where I lived 25 years ago, but it would take me a bit. And of course, is there family and who knows what? Does anybody know anything? So ultimately it was kind of narrowed down and this was obviously one of them and um once we got to that point we didn't go off you know um haphazardly we had a extremely uh, a strong idea that this was our person and we just needed to confirm it you know with her so when it finally got confirmed what were you thinking <laughs> the investigators called me and uh it was, uh, I guess, uh, kind of a weight lifted. I mean, and not just like for myself, but I'm just, when I initially was told, it was um, the relief that I thought of for everybody else, right? And probably one of the, the first people was the uh, investigating officer originally that had retired. That was his case. And the things that he had went through, having to go through the contents of the outhouse. I mean, all those things that I know for a fact personally you know, upon talking to him that this is one that really bothered him. And that was one that I thought, man, he's really going to be relieved off of this one. And that's going to give him a sense of, you know, uh, completion and justice. Obviously, some, some closure, um, like I said, criminal charges aside, the fact that we were able to find a, f a family for this baby is something else. And other family that didn't even know that they were related to baby Garnet. So... I mean, there's a lot of things that we're probably still learning that, you know, I had asked the questions, do we, does the baby get a name now? Do we keep it as baby Garnet? I don't know. There's so many things because this is not a case. This is my first case ever of this magnitude for a cold case. Um, especially dealing with the baby. How do you identify the baby now? Do you get to name the baby? Is there some sort of a birth certificate or a death certificate or questions that still don't know? Because just as you said, you know, you don't find bodies of newborns in outhouses every day. You also don't solve 25-year-old cold cases no. every day in the rural Upper Peninsula. No, you don't. And the funny thing is, um, we, being rural doesn't mean that we're out of the loop. We have really big cases up here, just like they do down in the big city. Maybe not as often, but again, that's just because of the, the populace. You know, but we still have them here, and we don't forget. If anything, I think it's probably you know uh, a little bit. I don't want to say worse for us because it is here because it's so small. Our caseload isn't the same as downstate, so this case truly was not you know put in a back storage room and never thought again. You know, after you know tons of people retired and came and gone, that's uh, not the way it is here. We're all aware of this case, and it stays on the forefront. You know, and every now and then, I. I would venture to guess um, Baby Garnet was probably discussed yearly, at least, in some some fashion. A topic like, man, I wish we could solve that case, or this is solvable, or, you know, it's a shame, or, you know, everybody has their speculation. You know, was it a, a teen mom that, you know, was scared and didn't know what to do, and this is what happened, or, you know, was it, you know, a, 
an affair or was it, I mean, all these different possibilities that it could be, you know, that is um, stuff that will probably come out in court as far as you know, how it all came about, but it's uh, to have it closed, it uh, made me feel good for, again, the officers, the initial people that were involved, but truly, again, the community. This is also a part of a healing for the community that have lived with this in 25 years. The ones that did, you know, donate the money to help, you know, bury Baby Garnet and actually took a, a personal interest in this because, again, it's it's affected so many people, not even directly involved. So to have that closure for everybody is, is huge. Investigators say they have identified Baby Garnet's father using the same technology that helped find her mother. He was unaware of the pregnancy and is considered a victim in this case. Let's take a look now at the technology used to crack this 25-year-old case. It's called Forensic Genetic Genealogy. It first came to light when it was used to solve a high-profile case out west in the mid-2000s, and since then has become a reliable tool for investigators looking to solve cold cases. Colleen Fitzpatrick is the president and founder of Identifinders International. Before we get into this case, what is Identifinders and what does it do? Well, we're, we're the pioneers in using forensic genetic genealogy, uh, especially for cold casework. Uh, we find people, we identify people, we work with law enforcement. Uh, I've done a lot of Holocaust research. I've done military identifications and other like unclaimed property and finding long lost relatives and adoption searches, you know, also. But mainly right now we focus on applying genealogy to cold cases. And when it comes to applying genealogy to cold cases, it's, how new is that technology? You were telling me it's it's a little older than most people think or and, and realize. Well, that is correct, because in general, the first case um, uh, that was ever, you know, where, where forensic genetic genealogy was ever used on a cold case was in 2011, when I used it uh, on the Sarah Yarborough homicide from 1991. Um, that went cold again, although it was solved later with the, let's say, the more sophisticated analysis we use now. The first case solved was in 2015. It was the Phoenix Canal murders. And again, it was using just the Y DNA and not the more sophisticated uh, version we have now. But even so, the history goes back as far as 2011, over 10 years ago. And with this I, I don't I don't want to get too specific on this case just because of it's still playing out in court. But in general, when law enforcement comes to you and says, we've got a cold case that we want to work on and we think forensic genealogy might be the key to cracking it. How does that work? Kind of walk me through the process that you guys do. Well, you know, we talk to the agency, we get sort of a background understand we don't need to know anything about the case, but we like to know it. You know, we like to know some of the context of the case. Um, and then we ask them, what DNA do you have? How degraded is it? Um, how much do you have? Uh, and is it a mixture? And we go through that and we, they may say, we, we can extract DNA, we have blood and clothing or whatever. Uh, and they may say, if it's a John or Jane Doe case, we'll say, they may say we only have molars or teeth or a skull. And so we'll lead them through the process of getting to the point they can send DNA to our labs. And then when we, you know, then we handle the lab, we always keep them informed. And if they want to know more about the details, we're fine with that. 
And then it usually takes maybe a couple of months to get that data through the lab and through everything we need to do. And then we get the genealogy data. So we upload it to GEDmatch and family tree DNA and we go, go forward with the genealogy. Now, I'd like to say that what we do is just the same as what the law enforcement does because law enforcement will get DNA, they will send it to a lab, they'll create a profile, and then they'll upload that profile to their database to look for matches. And we do exactly the same thing. We get DNA, we send it to a lab, we get them to generate a profile, we upload that profile to a database and we look for matches. It's just a different profile, a different database and a different kind of match, but same thing. And once you start finding those matches, uh, Sheriff Will kind of explained to me, that's how you start building out the family tree. Correct. 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 Because when you look at the matches, you don't know who these people are. You know, they're all related to your Mr. X or Miss X some way. And, you know, you can make estimates. They show you how much DNA they share. So if you are lucky enough to find somebody that shares 50% of their DNA, you know, that has to be a parent, a child or a sibling. So you're very lucky because you have almost no work to do. But in most cases, you'll have a variety. You'll have a few for maybe a first cousin, a couple of second cousins, a first cousin once removed, a great aunt, a nephew. So you have to take these people and keep rearranging them in some way, like a big Sudoku puzzle, until you get it right, until everything lines up. And then the missing piece is the person you're looking for. We get as far as saying we found, like if it's in this case, it would be Miss X, you know, the baby's mother. So we say, we found, and we can narrow it down to either Miss X or her sisters because they all have the same genealogy. So we get, we had a case of a violent crime, a murder where there was eight or nine brothers in the family. And all we could say is one of those brothers. Now we could eliminate the oldest ones, they were too old. We can eliminate the youngest ones, they were too young. We looked at the ones in the middle and there were some that were more, say, suitable than others that had more, that lived in the area, that had other, uh, you know, charges on their police, had a police record, so on. But when we got to two or three, then we have to, then, you know, the law enforcement has to carry it from there. So in this case, you know, we could get to, uh, Miss X, I think we knew it was the mother's side, and we knew it was either her or a couple of uh, her sisters. But then, you know, asking the, you know, maybe a cousin or a, I think it may have been a grandchild, you know, can you help us? Some of them had already been tested, and we said, can you help us? We're working on this case, uh-huh. and they were, you know, part of the say closer family helped us. So when we finally turned in the name, we knew who it was. I mean, occasionally we do we do we inform law enforcement that say we may be talking to a cousin or something you know we work all that out mm-hmm. but in general um we uh you know pretty much nail it when we get to the end we don't leave them much work to do so essentially you find the relative you go to that relative and say help us maybe fill in the blanks can we get, D- can yeah. we get dna from you know your sister and your mom to start yeah. kind of yeah. building, building yeah that well no, we don't start anything. This is really toward okay. the end. Okay, there are some companies that that's what they do. They start, they spend a few hours, whatever the law enforcement covers, funds. And then when they stop and they say, this is where we are, can you target test? Can you test so we can continue building the tree out? 
but our method is just to do it until we get to those, you know, really to the end. And then we may say, well, there's three brothers left. We can't differentiate between them. They all have the same genealogy. There's three sisters, or we're not sure if it's mom's side or dad's side, there's five siblings. One of those is a parent. So we turn those in and a lot of times one of them would have moved away. One of them might be deceased. One of them, you can generally kind of maybe get to, you know, two or three, but when the way we do it, we don't normally target test a lot until we're towards the end. We're very much towards the end. It is without question fascinating technology. Fitzpatrick admits it can be at times a painstaking process, but one that holds almost boundless potential for cracking cases. What we do is we use a, a database called GEDmatch, which is uh, built by genealogists for genealogists, not associated with those companies, does not do DNA testing. It just acts as a platform, a database. It's got lots of tools we've developed for ourselves, and it's we can use that. If you have a John or Jane Doe case, you can use the whole database. And if you have a violent offender, you can use um, the, the people who have agreed have opted into law enforcement. But we don't have anybody's data, raw data. We can't see the DNA results. I should like to emphasize all we can see is their list of matches to compare it to what we have. Okay, so you have your DNA and say, you can just start running through this database and say, well, we found this you know, sample that matches to the sample we have that close enough to being like a first yeah. cut, essentially. Yeah, okay. right. Right. And, you know, what? it's very useful because, say, like, um, I'm Jane Doe and I find out you're my first cousin. Well, if I look at your matches, you may have tested your father, but he doesn't appear on my list. So therefore, I know I'm connected to your mother. So you see, knowing who you are and who you have tested and how you figure in, then that tells me which direction to go in on my end. It's still it's. It's mind blowing to me, Colleen. It's it's complicated, but it seems it sounds so easy at, at the same time when it comes to using this to solve cases. Well, it's like a big Sudoku puzzle. You know, I if I put my mind to it, I can do Sudoku, but it's not what I do every day. But there are people that can just look at the puzzle and get it. So it's, uh, you know, it depends on what your experience is, you know, how your mind works you know, how you can put all those pieces together. Um, you know, I, I mean, there, you know, if you tried to speak, you know, Swahili, we'd all be stuck, right? But yeah. there are, you know, three-year-old children on earth that speak Swahili. So why, why is it so hard? You know, it's just your background and what you're familiar with. Does it ever get old for you matching, you know, and getting enough pieces or enough branches on the tree for law enforcement to make an arrest? in a cold case, does that moment ever get old for you? Um, you know, I'd say never old. I'd say I do get frustrated. I say I do get, you know, oh my God, I just can't work on this anymore. And you know, I'll come back later. I mean, there are many cases that are very kind of complicated and difficult, but you always come back later. You take a break and you say, I really have to get this. And it be, you know, it becomes fascinating. You know, all the parts that say don't fit together or do fit together. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you always come back. You don't really give up. Do I get tired sometimes? Yes, I do. But do I give up? No, I don't. It's got to be a really good feeling too. 
when you when you get the matches to solve the case, especially one like this one that involved a baby that was 38, 40 weeks yeah. old when she died. Yes. Yes. And I will tell you a vignette uh, when I we eventually solved Sarah Yarborough case. It was that first case we tried in 2011. It was eventually solved. I met with her parents, you know, and they were almost like saints having gone through this. And while we were talking, I said, would you mind calling the genealogist and, you know, just connecting with them and thanking them or saying hi? And they agreed. And those two genealogists, you know, they told me that was a moment in their life they will not forget. You know, just having that call, an unexpected call and hearing the parents say how grateful they were. I mean, it was a moment in my life as well. Is this a science and a technology you think can open the door on any number of cases that law enforcement have sitting on their shelf? I think it's a real uh, powerhouse of a tool. You have to have DNA on the case and DNA suitable, you know, let's put it this way. We're doing more and more with less and less. We're doing older and older cases. Not every DNA is with, not every case is within reach. If it has DNA, it may be gone. You know, it may be so degraded you can't manage today, but maybe next year or the year after, there'll be, you know, more technology to reach those really tough cases. So more and more with less and less has to have some kind of DNA, and that's it. We can do those. Um, if you don't have DNA, it's not relevant. And that was Colleen Fitzpatrick, the president and founder of Identifinders International. They played a key role in helping solve the Baby Garnett case. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved, and special thanks to Joe Busick for his help in producing this podcast. Be sure to join us next month as we take a look at another unsolved mystery from right here in northern Michigan. For 9 in 10 News, I'm David Lydon. Wow.